And now, it's time for the Dead by Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 135. It is I, your humble host, Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One, joined in the kingdom of Zoom by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. How's it going, man? Hello, world. Uh, I'm good. That is all the comment we have from Mr. LeBlanc at this time. No further questions, Your Honor. Uh, also, I am joined by my mellow, my man, Mr. Keep It Raw, David Ma. How's it going? Yo, um, going all right. Fucking Monday blues, man. You know what I mean? But uh, A little bit. Otherwise, I'm feeling good. Um, really good about the shows that we've been doing, and we got a lot more on route. So I'm really stoked about that. And that kind of kind of fires me up in the meantime how are you doing man um i'm hanging in there uh, nate and dave are, are being kind we haven't seen the sun in like five days um we live in an ashtray but our podcast is taking off so it's all about being compartmental and enjoying what you yes. can while you can um so for those who uh haven't heard already um the bros your humble host dave damone and nate um have joined Stony Island Pods. Um, confetti for us. How are you feeling? <laughs> How are you feeling about the whole venture, Mr. Nate LeBlanc? Uh, I feel good. Can I have it in Funfetti, which is a style of cake? <laughs> uh, you can. Um, let's see here. It's really good. It's it's excellent validation that the show is well done and that it's it's important and that people like it. Um, it was really cool. I we talked about this a little bit last week to, to like get some good news like you know how like yeah. sometimes you look at twitter yeah. and you don't have any notifications or at least i don't um it's like there's just nothing going like no one's talking about you or thinking about you in this very primal way it was just nice when people were like happy for us and like congratulating yep. us and a lot of people were like oh that makes so much sense like i'm that's a good fit like that's really cool and like it, it's 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 fun man i'm not gonna lie like i kind of needed it you know what i mean yeah, man. Totally. Uh, Dave, you you uh, were instrumental in bringing all this about. Can you tell folks who maybe don't know, who aren't in the podcast game as we are, uh, can you tell folks a little bit about Stony Island, what it is, and, and kind of how, uh, how this partnership came about? Sure. Um, I just kind of met Open Mike through the internet and just do some journalism stuff, and he's always just been you know anybody who listens to his podcast or have seen his work knows that he's hilarious he's smart um he's very open um and um it was just you know i just straight up approached him and said hey dude um you get you you want some pudgy draft picks for your upcoming uh for your upcoming um <laughs> network and you know we dialogued a little bit he was open to it and to sort of just echo nate's points i mean yeah it was great validation but it was validation that was great because people felt it was a good fit. You know what I mean? Not just like, oh, you guys are gonna get more numbers. It was like, whoa, we've seen Mike's work and we've seen your guys' work and it seems like it's gonna Makes die. Makes sense. Yeah, so um, shout out to Mike, man. He is yeah, um, sure. doing a little tour with Hannibal Burris soon. So like, that's our dude. Like that's yeah. our podcast network's leader. And uh, you know, he's hitting the road and stuff. Um, shout out to him and his team for giving us a little boost last week and helping us out and you know, getting the structure in place. 
um, yeah, man, I'm really excited. Um, like yeah. Nate said, the validation is really cool. And it's not the amount of validation, it's from who. Exactly. I didn't think about this, exactly. but I suppose it's possible that given this tour situation is coming up, that Hannibal Burris might know who we are or listen to the show. That's nuts. Mm. That's nuts. Mm. That would be very tight. Yes. <laughs> Hannibal Burris, if you're listening, you did a bit about the light rail trains in San Jose that I quote all the time about how there's bars right next to these slow ass trains. And I've, uh, I've repeated it to many people. <laughs> yes, present company included. Um, <laughs> shout out to Hannibal, shout out to uh, Open Mic, all the folks at Stony, Stony Island Pods. Uh, we are joining the team that includes um, Open Mic Eagle, as we said, as well as uh, Blueprints um, podcast. Right. Blueprint Analogics podcast, uh, Super Duty, Super Duty Tough, Tough, Tough Work. work. And Mike's yeah. podcast, which is probably the best thing in the world right now, called What oh, Had Happened sure. Was, right. uh, which is his long-form interviews with Prince Paul. So if you guys are not listening to that, I don't know. You have to. You, but come on. Yeah, right. You have it, to. You got you to gotta jump out of this episode and go jump into one of those, because they're only going to make 10 of them. They're probably the best podcast I've ever heard in my life. Totally, totally. I, Just I, I am saying that not as an affiliate, as a, as a listener. Like when right. the first one came on and Mike does this incredible rap intro. Oh my God, best intro I was ever. like, the oh, best. this is made for me. Yeah, right. I'm, it's I'm like, the right. exact kind of Prince Paul 80s hip hop nerd who like really, really wants to know all these stories. And right. it kind of came up when we were, I was listening to it, uh, I believe yesterday or sometime over the weekend. We're learning a lot about Mike through the, yeah, through, the through it, mm -hmm. through the like exploration yeah. of Prince Paul's music. Cause especially the De La stuff is so personal for mm -hmm. so many of us, like the whole native mm -hmm. tongue ethos of like, it's okay to be yourself and be vulnerable. I, I realized that that meant a lot to him and he's kind of taking that a lot further than a lot of rappers would in his work and in his career. So to hear him just Absolutely. say it was, it was fascinating for me. Um, yeah. as a listener. Totally. Excellent, excellent. Kind of the the flagship of our lane in terms of podcast. Um, right. The content is incredible. Um, yeah, so we're we're happy to be affiliated with such a, a, a strong and vibrant team of folks, but we're not resting on our laurels here at the Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are still doing banter workout sprints on the daily um reading reading some books we've got we got some interesting uh author interviews and future episodes but today we have an interview um which i think is a great pairing with last week's interview with dj shadow and that is dan the automator um is on the program today uh dave you kill the booking game how <laughs> Get, tell the people tell um, the people how you're so proficient um mostly because i'm old so uh, I've just been doing this for 20 years. So yeah, yeah I mean, you, you guys make reference to my Rolodex. It's literally like pieces of scrap paper and whatever I enter into my phone that I remember to. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of Dan, I, um, interestingly enough, he was one of the first people I ever interviewed ever in, in the oh, writing really? game. Okay. And uh, I think it was my first thing I did with him was for Herb or Accelerator, maybe like 2000, 2001. So we've always kind of maintained a little bit of a connection just through email and stuff, so, you know. So um, I just thought it was a, the perfect time and um, it was um, having DJ Shadow was a really good springboard for Automator given their shared history. And obviously, I mean, we're just fans. So, I mean, anytime we get these guys on that we've looked up to and idolized, I mean, and get to geek out with them, I'm stoked on. So 
Absolutely. It was a really cool interview. And um, w I did a little visual thing that you guys will hear in a sec where I showed him some of his old records, kind of just yeah. like, cause that's my shtick and kind of because I wanted him to see like, no, seriously, I'm a big fan. Like, like for I've been collecting your records since like your, your very first record. Um, so there, there's a little bit of that, but we all, we all kind of chose uh, a record of his to kind of um, talk about here and to kind of like fill the episode with our admiration and kind of like, I feel like Dan has a lot of mythology around him and he's, he's an open guy and he's like mm. a normal guy, but also he's a little mysterious. And I think yeah. he cultivated a bit of a persona and he's very Bay area. And I, it's like, right. He's like a kid who had strict parents who made him take violin lessons. Violin lessons, yeah. yeah he he like right. lived at home well into his adulthood. You know what I mean? Like totally. there's some things that like he's just he's just such a Bay Area cat. Totally. Um, and there was a time where he like ruled music. Like mm -hmm. I was a big right. John Spencer Blues Explosion fan, particularly their fan Orange. And then their very next mm -hmm. album after they kind of blew up, they blew up because it was produced by Automator. Totally, me, totally. It's like uh, it's just like being a, a like a kid in the Bay Area, or not really a kid, but like a teenager, early twenties person back then. Like you could have a pretty good diet of music if you only listen to things that Automator produced. Made it produced. Right, like, right. As one of the best Stereo Lab remixes. He right. Had, Cheaper motto, pop like, record that like took over the world. It was the number one pop record in the world. He mentioned to us at that time. Dave just pulled out the Chibo motto. That's like a great example of what I'm talking about. Um, there was a time he was just like on fire, on and fire. We're, yeah, we're a little bit past that time, so it's really interesting. Much like the Shadow interview, for us to be like, well, what do you think about that now? And I think that's yeah. an interesting lane for interviewing, as we were kind of touching on earlier and. Mostly, I just think he's, he has, his beats are beautiful. Like, he has mm. such a, a touch of incorporating, um, like, that luxurious feel, but not in the kind of, like, alchemist drum totally. Erringer way that we talk about often on the show, or, like, mm -hmm. a rock marciano. It's a totally different thing where there's always drums, and there's always movement, and they're, they're really rich. And I guess, right. like, just what I wanted to say off top. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. His, his um, constant awareness of keeping the structure of the song moving is what I've always loved. Like you listen to Deltron and you know, the, the third stanza in the song is ridiculously removed from the first, you know, it's not mm. the same four bars looping. And that's what mm. I always appreciated. And to your point, Nate, I mean, yeah, his stuff is just so pretty dude. Here's some guitar mm. plots, here's some violin stabs, you know, but it's not overly lush either. Like it's, it's definitely detailed. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was really, really awesome to get him on the phone. Um, Damone, uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, the Automator's mystique and his music both peaked at a particular time where it was just, um, to Nate's point, um, the most forward-thinking thing that you could think of that was still accessible, right? right? Like, right. it was the coolest thing that even uncool people could get was right. Automator, which not all not all producers from that realm kind of reached that status. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've always been a huge fan in the sense that um, he creates like little worlds. It's almost more mm -hmm. like some John mm -hmm. Mary shit where you're getting immersed in this like kind of orchestral lush experience. So it's it was I guess I should have known that he had a lot of success doing movie score type stuff as well. Right. That's always the vibe that I've got from um, 
the favorite automator projects. Um, when you talk about Deltron or, or um, Dr. Octagon, things like right. that. But we, we divvied up some of our favorite automator projects um, and we just wanted to kind of go back and, and pick through them in advance of our interview with automator coming up. Nate LeBlanc, which Dan the Automator project did you select? I ended up picking Deltron and it was mostly because I wanted to re-listen to Deltron because we have a little <laughs> moment in the interview where I'm like, oh, uh, thanks for writing the song Virus. Like now we live in that world and it mm -hmm. sucks. Um, but <laughs> but I, when I look, and also we kind of have, I can't remember if it was when we talked to Dell for this show or for the Wax right. Poetics podcast, but he told us the funniest story, which was that like, the people who grew up with Dell and like his core constituency, the people in his neighborhood did not get or like Deltron at all. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was the Wax Poetics podcast. Yes. And how, how they were sort of clowning him. Like, what the fuck is this? Yes. And so it's <laughs> kind of funny. So I was in college uh, when this came out and I was like a, a liberal studies student at UC Santa Cruz. I was like technically an American studies um major and I was taking a lot of science fiction classes and I was obsessed with underground hip-hop and going to like shows all the time. I probably saw Dell 10 times when I was in college and so for him to make a science fiction record that mm. really leaned into his strengths as an MC um, meant a lot to me and I, I, I rinsed the fuck out of this record like my, my <laughs> I keep my records pretty nice as you guys know and my cover for right. this is like destroyed because it lived <laughs> in my DJ bag for like 10 years and so I wanted to re-listen to it and re-experience it at kind of as an adult and to look back on it. And what I have, what I'm here to tell the people is it really holds up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. This is a great record mm -hmm. and the, it's, it stays on theme without being cloying about the theme and it's propulsive without being like um, scattershot. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just enough, this blend of the science fiction world that they create through the music, the scratching, and especially Dell's, you know, oration. And then it's also such a 2000s hip hop record because a lot of it is about how MCs are whack and how everybody <laughs> yeah. wants to MC and how like, they about shouldn't. Rapping. So it, yep. yeah, rapping about yep. rapping, exactly. Yep. Yep. And Dell is such a monster. Like so, okay. most of the songs that I like the most of his are just like kind of like battle rappy. Mm -hmm. Everyone should stop rapping except for me rapping songs. So you kind of get that really focused Dell the really precise writing, the really great delivery, and this automator world that he built that is very much leaning in the direction of a film scoring environment where there's there's a lot of triumphant music. Right, yeah, right. And like choir he, rising. Yeah, his, he's, yeah. It, it rises, it builds, there are crescendos about it, and it mm -hmm. makes you think of kind of like a, um, uh, you know, the movie Metropolis, um, the Fritz mm -hmm. Long, um, silent film where like the the way to evoke a future society is to like look up with the lighting and that's what Dan does with the music mm. and it, it's mm. it's such a beautiful record and I I just think um, they all it's some of each person's best work so right like how Dr. Octagon is a DJ a producer and an MC and they're a, they're on fire together this record which came second is kind of like the the next iteration of that so you have Dell on the mic Kid Koala on scratches doing some really interesting things. Right. Um, and then Dan just like totally destroying the production of this. So that's kind of my preface, but like, what do you guys think about Deltron and have you listened to it recently? I, you know, I actually love Deltron, but it's one of those albums that I played the fuck out of as soon as it came out and then kind of had to like give myself a reprieve. 
And then I listened to it semi-recently again with like 2020 ears and felt sort of like what you were saying, completely held up. You know, actually, I think it holds up in ways that Octagon doesn't. Um, some of the Octagon stuff is kind of, okay. uh, I don't know, perhaps because I've heard it a thousand times more as well. But um, I, think it, I think it's a little bit sharper of a project, if that makes mm. sense. And um, mm. uh, to know that like he went from that to like gorillas and was all over the radio again, it's just like, this expansive dude it's pretty crazy um i'm a big fan of deltron though um damon what do you think well i feel like deltron is one of those uh records you can tell when somebody got into dell there's mm, a there's yeah, a generation yeah. of folks for whom deltron is their origin story with right Del. it's the um, mad villain right yeah, kind exactly of, right well, I, I mean it's, imagine being 14 and hearing deltron or something yes, you know like yeah yeah you know that's and that's how he's he's kind of maintained his run i believe um uh, deltron is kind of a, a jumping off point for that and obviously with gorillas it goes further but um i always thought that was a great pairing haven't listened to it in a while um to nate's point i have i gotta be in the mood for rapping about rapping in 2020 <laughs> like i just i mean i ingested you mentioned listening to it a lot like those things are written in the back of my mind. No need for alarm, uh, you know, and kind of all the records of that era. So by the time we got to Deltron, I remember being like, okay, but yeah. the production, um, you can maybe argue that Dell has never had a better setup than sure. he did with his working with Automator. Right. Absolutely. I, uh, most rappers who work with Automator, I'd say that. <laughs> yeah, they've you know? never had a better setup. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to like, just, just hit this one more time because I think we're about to go into a different record of that he worked on is, it's, it's really tricky with the theme records. Mm -hmm. right. how, how often do you hit the theme and mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you dance around the theme without right. like overdoing it? And like, yeah. I, I do literally feel like they, they nailed this uh, balance and that it feels like a movie like you're you're in the science fiction movie yep. like you know Chris Hemsworth isn't Thor but like he's right. rough <laughs> enough and blonde enough and funny enough where you're like okay yeah that guy could be right. a god you know what I mean right. like right. Deltron Zero <laughs> is and is not Dell in ways that I thought was really really clever and like it's just nice to see that they landed the spaceship yeah oh, totally. literally right uh, Dave what was your Automator record and your reflection on it? Well, man, I mean, with Automator, again, I mean, just sort of our text thread, there's just so much to choose from, uh, so much good stuff. But um, I chose Lovage, um, and I chose that specifically because um, it really speaks to me, and it's probably the Automator album that I listen to the most still. And um, I say that with a caveat, and the caveat is that I listen to the Lovage instrumentals, not the uh, okay. vocal, vocal version. But okay. um, I love that it, you know, that it, exists in this automator universe still it's nathaniel merriweather yeah. and um you know yeah. it's he's that's his handsome boy persona and um the album itself i mean there's mike Patton on it there's jennifer charles on it um and also another frequent collaborator the one that we just talked about is kid koala and mm -hmm. he does kind of what he did on deltron which is scratch in key He's not doing scratchy yeah. scratches. He's just, he's dropping little melodies, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, they're just gorgeous and they just fit so well. Um, you know, uh, when I first heard, when I first heard this record, I think I was like 20 or something and I had not heard of Serge Gainsbourg yet. So later mm -hmm. to find out that this is sort of a satire off of on, one of the on his. ever, um, 
from the cover art down to the vocals, um, I thought was just fucking, fucking fantastic, man. Um, I'm a big fan of the album. It still really resonates with me. I love the strings. I love the, the rosiness of it. Um, but again, I, I only listen to the instrumental versions and I think it's a, one of the best representations of Automator because of sort of like the swooping strings and you know, the, uh, how he is able to keep the moving, uh, the move, the music moving. So yeah, man, the, that's, that's my Automator one. Um, I could have picked Handsome Boy, you know, maybe the first Gorillas, Octagon, but um, that one really resonates with me. I love the instrumentals, man. Is that you how guys? you got into Surge? Because I think of you as like the biggest Surge games. Player. I know, I know. I probably got into them later, like re really right after that. But yeah. I had no idea. I yeah, had no for idea. Sure. Mm -hmm. But it was a satire. I mean, down to the, the awesome cover art and just the way Jennifer Charles kind of talks and the way Mike Patton kind of tries to talk. Um, which he, try, he tries, but is not successful in talking. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's actually the, the worst element of that album, I think. But yeah. um, I, I've know. always wished there was a version that just had the automator beats, the totally. Wallace scratches and the Jennifer Charles. Uh, exactly. Just smoke, like that smoky vocals. Like I kind of discovered her the same time I discovered Cat Power. And it's just like that that vocal range for a singer like really does it for me. And oh, 100 percent. Uh, I mean, can you imagine a Cat Power produced by Automator during the early 2000s? I mean, right. That'd be absurd. I, she does sing on a track on the second Handsome Boy, and I think that's probably right. as close as we'll ever get. Right. But yeah, right. I mean, a whole album where they could do this kind of syrupy, uh, mm -hmm. easy listening thing would be so just amazing. And shout out to Prince Paul, who's also on this as well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not Automator doing rap, but it very much exists in this Automator universe. Sure, so yeah, I, I was all sure. over it. Um, what about you, Damon? What, what was your pick? Le uh, my pick was Handsome Boy Modeling School, the first record, uh, So How's Your Girl? Um, and it's the record I picked because I, like you, Dave, struggle with an album like Lovage and the um, the, the campiness of it. And like just listening to the beats allows you to kind of have that distance because I it was hard for me to connect with that record. Um, some somehow on uh, "So How's Your Girl," the comedy and the dopeness and the experimental side um, all kind kind of come together um, in a way that like I remember liking a lot and still listen to a lot of those songs to this day. Um, and so it's kind of like you know uh, we were talking about Chivo Mato, the the Mito Hattori, um Mike D track metaphysical mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is like dope, weird, kind of right. funny, but still in pocket. It still kind of knocks in its own way. Right. Um, so I love that track. I love Megaton B-Boy um, with LP kind of like taking rap. Right. It's, it's bleeding edge of like noise and angriness. Um, and then kind of the Kid Koala shows up here as well. Um, mm -hmm. the whole handsome boy modeling school joke for whatever reason I rocked with it throughout like I, I, I this is one of the rare comedic type of records that I really really like um, mm -hmm. and it, I think automators inclusion is kind of what makes that stick for me Nate just, you went I, to you went to modeling school how, how did it compare for you <laughs> modeling just sucks modeling nice. sucks 
I'm a male model, not a male. <laughs> I've like I've memorized this record. You're I memorized a rough the jokes. Yes. Been, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've I've memorized the Guido Sarducci. Sarducci right. memor- it's yeah. it's actually funny, Demote. I don't like want to make this negative, but like I can't believe you like that LP and Alec Empire song. I hate that song. <laughs> That, that's like the exact kind of song that I do not care for. I, I don't like anything too frenetic or like or, or loud or fast. Yes. Go on, yes. go on with your exactly, take. Exactly. So the, the, it's funny because um, to tie this in, and not just because of our podcast, but because of my listening proclivities, the song that really holds up from this is uh, "Holy Calamity," the DJ Shadow right, right, right. Um, thing, which is probably one of the hardest, like cut and paste, like just breaks workout tracks ever and to know that prince paul automator and dj shadow and then like amazing scratching of djq who's probably not a national name but was huge here in the bay area and was like part of the um bulletproof scratch Scratch hamsters hamsters. and whatever they called themselves all the different iterations and he owned a shop in san mateo or south cities called uh, q's hip-hop shop which was one of those weird little shops where you could go and pick up underground tapes and equipment and just like hip-hop knowledge is just so cool um, and that, that keeps it so Bay Area. But I mean, I, I love this record and totally. I've always loved it. The Dell song is great. The Dell song is great. Magnetizing. Yep. Magnetizing. I hit the Metropolitan with music I'd be modeling. Yeah. So yeah. great. Um, Encore from San Jose. Yes, yeah, really that was good. the cut. Waterworld. Yeah. Waterworld. Uh, the Grand cut that's good. I yeah. Think. So Grand that X is here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, just, yeah. there's just a ton to like. And it, it was kind of a cultural phenomenon. And I think it goes back to that kind of mystique of the automator thing. And um, I think it, it really helped re-cement Prince Paul as like a leading producer. Right. Um, and it's, it, I think you're right. And I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you. Like they, they're, they're wearing like $4 from like Michael's mustaches and like fake cigars. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's work. awesome. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it ended up all coming together and there's so many different flavors um, to choose from. And I, I think it's a really, really strong project. Weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, I just, I never got into the second one. Like it just mm, never, nope, me. nope. Yeah. it just doesn't have the same energy. I don't think this is a movie that needed a sequel and kind of most movies don't need sequels. Right. Um, but every once in a while you nail it. But it, that, that one just never really hit. The, it was more like a grab baggy. Like it didn't have a, a thematic resonance in the, yeah. the first one. Um, did, sort of. Um, I wanted to uh, share real quick. Like when you mentioned um, Holy Calamity, um, I spoke to Automator uh, right after um, Handsome Boy came out. And I was like, yo, dude, that, that DJ Shadow cut is so good. Like how, how is working with, with Shadow and Prince Paul. And Automator goes, when Shadow goes to the studio, me and Prince Paul go have lunch. <laughs> so it's just like, it's like, so Sh- Shadow just fucking busted that shit. Yeah, it's, awesome. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's an incredible yeah. track. And it's then uh, I remember dope. this very distinctly. It was when Ricky Williams was on the Dolphins. So mm-hmm. this is a long wow. time ago now. Um, they used uh, rock and roll could never hip hop like this as NFL promos. Mm. and like i was i was like oh good they're getting paid yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. you know what i mean like yes yeah. it's just like i'm still Absolutely. like that it's like that that meme where leonardo dicaprio is pointing at the tv from a yeah. once upon a time in hollywood <laughs> i'm like yes someone i yes. like is getting a check hey, from me absolutely i love this so yeah um just an incredible record and then I, I i nobody picked it but i think we have to talk a little bit about dr octagon before we right to too easy yeah. Right, right. <laughs> we, we've spent some time on it before. We've interviewed Cool Keith. Um, I have to say, and I kind of say this about a lot of records, but my life changed a lot at that time. Total life-changing sure. record for me. 
Um, yeah. it, literally, in this case, they Dr. Octagon was on the cover of Alternative Press, which is an English music magazine, and I bought a copy of it, I think at Tower, um, when I was like 16, and in it, it had this like guide to underground hip hop, and it talked about Siamese oh, wow. and like um, Sebi tones and like all this weird stuff. And I was like, oh, thank God, there's like a roadmap. Like I'm somebody, yeah, this. right, right. So yeah. There was kind of a I, that that like literally changed my life because I like went and tried to buy all the records I could and learn as much as I could about these people and this movement. And like I I I became an underground hip hop head. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's yeah. it's interesting that that's that spark of Dr. Octagon and what it did for underground hip hop and kind of pulling in tr the trip hop world and getting kind of outside of just the normal hip hop lane is it's cool Keith. Like the dude's been around forever by this time. Totally. Um and he just remixes this character uh but I will say that I feel like that's it's not as easy to listen to as I thought it might be. I went back to it not too long ago and I was like, there are certain songs that totally hold up. Right. Flowers. You're like, oh, I love this song. I'm destructive. <laughs> <laughs> destructive. Um, Moose bumps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I also so it. funny. I mean, it's just uh, so funny. I mean, it's so over the top. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying. I don't know if every song I'm going to want to hear all four minutes of, you know? Right. right. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a lot going on with that record, but I think Automator's presence is what gave it um, a grounding and a and a floor under which to be dope. Cool Keith did a lot of things after that, but I don't think any of them quite cl clicked in the way that this record um, did. And then getting kind of Qbert at the height of his powers too was right. just takes that record over the top. Totally, totally. totally. It, this is a little off topic, but it is the same era of Qbert. Um, if you guys haven't listened to it in a long time, he did that bonus mix thing for Shadow called uh, mm -hmm. Camel Bobsled mix, yeah. mix off yeah. of preemptive strike you guys should yep. really listen to that again like it's yeah. incredible um mm -hmm. that that that's just like something that it, it's gonna be lost to the seas of time but like if you were there there was nothing better than that back right. then it was just totally. like the best producer the best dj and there these interesting collisions um we've been talking and kind of nibbling around the the apple of turntablism for a while on a couple of different episodes and about a couple of different things but that was a super important part of the hip-hop experience back then and it's cool that automator of all people like foregrounds these incredible totally. turntablists on his projects and i think that it helps them live on like right, right right it's like and, the, and, kind of the last era where the dj is like part of the group totally mm. totally and you know Which again very overt uh, Bay Area connection. I love it. Love for it. sure. Love it. For sure. So the automator, excellent producer, uh, and really, and we, again, we've talked about this in terms of instrumental hip hop. The easiest thing to do is go like, "Damn, this is mad cinematic." I like, know. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It really but is. it's true. Yeah, but it's it really true. Is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's yeah. All of all of the things we just described, they they it feels more like talking about a movie. Like you know, when you see a really good movie. And this mm -hmm. might be kind of a thing of the past. You'd have to go with your friends and get coffee or something and like talk. To unpack it. it. Yeah. yeah right, it's like, right. that's how you, you want to treat a record of this magnitude. So totally. Uh, well, he just, has so many trademarks. So it's like, did you, you know, did you see the choir on this, you know, or right, did you see right. the, the swooping strings on that? I mean, it's, it's just so much to unpack that like you were saying, Damone. And, and I just want to give a shout out. We didn't cover it, but Dave and I are both huge fans of A Better Tomorrow, which is his initial EP that, get, that right. got re- 
done into an LP and that song Cartoon Capers. Yes. Keith, where he's not in character as Dr. Octagon and he's name dropping like cartoon characters and superheroes Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like that's just some good clean hip hop fun. Like that's just an awesome song and an awesome era. And you can kind of see the seeds of where the Dr. Octagon project ended up going. So if you guys haven't heard that and I don't think it's on streaming. um, Oh, it's not. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it is. Um, I think 75 arc has talent like, catalog issues and there's a whole sordid history there we didn't get into with this but um yeah i think most of the things on that label are not maybe the extended version is but the ep version that i like fell in love with is delchon on streaming yes currently okay it is yeah okay so yes automator amazing producer um also super cool cat was down to talk with us about um the various you know side roads and and different alleys of his career um, and so let's get into it. This is our interview with Dan the Automator, Deb on Rap Pod. All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back. Another episode, another interview with a dope producer in the hip hop world. We are joined today in the Temple of Zoom with Dan the Automator, um, who has worked with people such as LP and Father Guido Sarducci, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if too many people could say that, man. How's it going? Good, man. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Um, so we're like Dave said, we are longtime fans of your work, um, and you've actually done some of the more interesting concept albums in hip hop history. Maybe chiefly among them being Handsome Boy Modeling School. Um, can you tell a, a little bit for our listeners, kind of like how you got into production and like what led you to to do some of the the bugged out projects that you are famous for? How I got into production is kind of like starts out with um like liking records and music then going to 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 um really discovering like rap music and then djing and not djing so much because of rap music but just because i like records a lot and then from that point i just kind of like as soon as i started djing i was an okay i mean i'm a good i'm a good dj but (laughs) i'm not like you know, world-class, like, you know, Jazzy Jeff, whatever, A-track kind of DJ. But, but like, I um like DJing, but I like, you know, drum machines and, and things like that. I had a lot of curiosity about, curiosity about music when, when it came to liking music. You know, like, I would read every, like, credit on a record, see what things were and that kind of stuff. I was really interested in, like, oh, how did that sound like that or what? But I didn't really think of it in terms of, like, producing. I just thought of it as a music fan but as it kind of continued on i was djing and stuff i got more interested in you know how not how records got made but how they sounded like they sounded and then like how you would like you know incorporate a drum machine or something to a dj set and that kind of vibe and then keyboards and then records really kind of was like a, a, a gradual arc not sorry not a gradual arc but an arc into from from being a fan to djing to producing but i should also say that like 
have a pretty extensive like music background as far as classical music. I started playing the violin from like a very early age. Um, so that that was part of it too. So with that with that kind of background, like, do you think that helped you when you started doing these kind of uh, crossover genre projects? You're kind of renowned for bringing really different uh, types of artists into the hip hop sphere. Do you feel like that gave you an edge? I think that helped in terms of melody and stuff. But what 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 gave me the edge, I think, is I like music, just period. You know what I mean? Like, I like, you know, all genres of music, some more than others. I'm not really that big on country. I'm not really that big on modern jazz. And modern R&B has its ups and downs for me. But okay. just as a general sense, I, I like all kinds of music. So when I was, like, listening to... Um, exclusively rap or not exclusively but a lot of rap i was also listening to the dance music and stuff because you know dj but beyond all that when i got into rap and hip-hop and all that stuff part of the whole deal was like you know digging digging for records you know shop um, shopping every day me and me and shadow used to go like three or four days a week shopping for records Mm -hmm. and um you know that's everything from like you know soul james brown to jazz records to like folk records to pop records all these things that i didn't really know as much about i mean like i got a a crash 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 courts education in like you know james brown and those kind of things mm-hmm. from first listening to guys like you know whatever marley or whoever it is that's you know chopping those things or like eric b and rock Cam things well i guess that was marley as well but like um just like <laughs> yeah. that like like, you know, like I, I would hear and then I would start hearing the things and then, like I, my friend Gary, he went to New York, came back with this ultimate Breeds and Breaks collections and started seeing mm. what these guys were sampling and doing all that stuff while we're like, you know, kind of like just understanding what hip hop is. Because, you know, for me, hip hop is a New York experience from the beginning. Of course, it's, you know, worldwide now, but like I, 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 I the, the, the way that the New York guys made hip hop was the way I like came up on it. And that was a lot of like records and stuff. So I learned about a lot of different kinds of music through that. And like, as, as an example, like one of my first bigger records was like um, Dr. Octagon and like yeah. a song on there called I'm Destructive. And it's like, not, it's kind of like, you know, not punk, but it's like rock, you know, like guitars and amps and stuff like that. And like, sure. I didn't really know what I was doing then. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew what I wanted to make, you know what I mean? I wanted to have distorted guitar, distorted bass, pushing against a break, but I didn't really know how to do it. But then like, I, I had enough experience listening to records. I had an idea. I mean, I did a very garagey job of it because I didn't know more, but as I did that, then the next record I did, next record I did being around more musicians and being around more like instrumentalists and stuff, I got to learn how, how to like, you know, incorporate that stuff where I got to learn like, you know about mics and amps and guitars and things like that and 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 that was a way to like um understand i guess you know understand what other people are doing or start to understand what people are doing so by the time like well handsome boy had come around like we're me and paul we're still maybe naive to some of those things but i've been listening to all this other music a lot not just from the break side but like i was a big fan i always had this thought um that like all rap people at the time, at the time period, were very like the sun rises with like you know DJ Premier on the east, it sets with like Dr. Dre on the west. You know what I mean? And like right. kind of like not that that's the only music there, but that's like the the, the end ends of the earth. You know what I mean? That's the, like mm-hmm. where it goes. And, like I'm here, I'm here listening to like um, York or something like that, and you know, and like just other other alternative records, rock records. Like I, I started 
to be fair, like I, um, as Octagon came out, we got picked up originally by Mo Wax, and so we were going to England a lot, and you know, we got to hear a lot yeah. of more contemporary music and stuff like that of that nature. You know, the Portisheads and stuff, the massive, the whole tricky massive attack thing. So, mm -hmm. like when we were coming out, I was more like, well, I love I love Dr. Dre, I love Premier, but I also love this, 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 and this. So when I thought about mm -hmm. stuff, I'm thinking about music. I'm not thinking about rap music, so to speak. You know what I mean? And or mm -hmm. hip hop kind of things like this. Now, that being said, I still come from a, a, a New York hip hop di discipline. So like, you know, I care about lyrics. I care about what like, you know, large pros digging up or whatever, you know, I, mm -hmm. I care about right. all that stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also interested in a lot of contemporary music that's coming out, you know? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. when, 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 by the time we got the handsome boy, I didn't necessarily know how to make that kind of music in terms of like where I am today, but mm -hmm. I, I did understand him where like, you know, my, my first, well, I guess my first record that people knew me for was like Shadows stuff and all those Soul Science guys, but then Dr. Octagon, but the very next records, two records after that, one was John John Spencer Blues Explosion, which is basically garage rock. It's nothing mm -hmm. to do with rap at all, although they love the beats. And then this other record called Corner Shop, when I was born for the seventh time, which was like a number one record in the world. So like, before I had even got to Handsome Boy, I kind of had made a transition out of making rap to make it like anything, you know what I mean? And, and when mm. I say anything, I'm not saying I was good at anything. I'm just saying my mind was like, you know, in that place, you know, I mean, we had, I mean, I had success with it in terms of right. like chart, commercial and otherwise, but I was still figuring, I, I was still understanding what it was. And I, I like, if you ask me today, I could probably like take it apart and, you know, and whatever, <laughs> but, but then I'm just trying to like, not, not keep up, but fit in, you know, like go like, how mm. can I make what I know how to do fit with that? So then by gotcha. the time we got to, by the time we got the handsome boy, um, I'm trying to think of what other records I had done in between, you know, but like, I just had just gotten to that point where like, like I, cause between, you know, Josh and Octagon and then Corner Shop, I had ended up in, in Western Europe a lot, doing a lot of um, rock, rock, hip hop ish records mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So like when I had gotten to um, handsome boy, we had already, I had already seen, more about production and like I was really into like um it's not anything different in terms of thought process because like with 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 with, with anything it's like you know pulling your influences from anywhere it's like if you're like looking at like you know like uh the the De La Soul Quest world and they're pulling from jazz records or you're working with this point or I'm just pulling from different kind of ideas and things and stuff if you listen to the first handsome boy record actually there's a lot of like um filter work in there you know what i mean like if you're like mm. drums getting filtered and things like that that's not something that hip-hop or even now was really doing the reason i got into it was because i was hanging out with in europe with like like when i, when I did the corner shop record we were doing a, a studio and right next door the guy there was a guy they were developing these filters these, they, it was called sherman filter bank they were mm. developing it and like i just started getting into all that stuff really because i was like this you can really you know do crazy shit with the drums and sounds and stuff so like by the time we got there, like if you, if you listen to Handsome Boy, it's a lot of it's like hip hop production or hip hop beats with like real super. I don't want to say electro because that's not it, but alt alternative mm -hmm. electro production. Like if you like songs like Magnetizing or like um, with Dell and all that stuff, it's like it's it's really being twisted in that kind of way. It's not so much rock and roll and a lot of instruments. It's more like. Um, my version of elect 
electronic music <laughs> without really knowing how to make electronic music in that way, knowing how to make hip hop through an electronic lens, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? And Perfect. that's how that, that's how that got there. And that's, like I said, this was post corner shop where I, I had learned, well not learned, but I know, Oh wait, we have number one pop record. Cool. You know what I mean? Like I, it was <laughs> accidental, you know what I mean? But like, right. you know, right. so, and I'm not like feeling super like co confident about it. I'm just like, this is kind of what I want to do. I want to push those things because my whole thing, started out being very traditional and then when i got to like um the, the octagon record that was where like I, I was like i don't care you know there's no mm -hmm. such thing as a um a rule and that's where like if you look at that record one of the main things i tried to do was um pull from every kind of genre because i was like you can make some hip-hop of any kind of genre and if you think mm -hmm. in terms of like run dmc stuff like sure. that you know they were rhyming over like the knack or they're rhyming over like you know right rock records or you know aerosmith or this and right, that I'm like, right. you can you can do this with you know jazz soul psych things mm -hmm. so that so my idea with, with that was like anything goes in terms of like we can make anything work with that and also at the same time and, and with that record in particular um i i had also gone away from all samples and i had gone to like um analog synthesis which was which was also like at that time not really a rap thing um, I I I went I was in I was hanging out in New York a lot and um there's a there's a uh, music store called Rogue Music and mm. they sell used stuff and I was there with my my boy Reggie and that's where we used to record at his house and stuff so that's we used to hang out a lot then and and went to Rogue and like I remember I I I bought my first analog synthesizer with the um Memory Mode Plus it's like. I bought it. I remember him because this is when all those like you know um, romplers and like kind of like every kind of sound keyboard was there. And he's like, "Why are you buying that for?" I'm like, <laughs> "No, it's cool, right?" And like that's all the sounds from like Earth People, like No Awareness, all that stuff. That's just oh. strictly drums and a memory mode. You know what I mean? Dope, dope. And and I, I'm not saying like I'm the first person to ever use a synth. Far from it. I'm just saying I was going that way. You know to um to to do hip-hop records like that like i listen to earth people right now it kind of sounds fresh to me you know what i mean like it's still it has yeah, thing. Yeah. i mean it's like you know it's like and that's just like you know really me and one keyboard and, and drums you know what i mean that's that's what that is you know what i mean and, mm -hmm. and and that's how that's how that's that's how that's made and and like i said i'm not by any means a super synth player right there i'm just saying like mentally i was someplace where i was doing these things and then that was like i said that was before i really thought about filtering because then when I was in, in doing like corner shop records and stuff I learned a lot about filters and that's when I went there so it's like it's just been it's a it's a thing so when you get the handsome boy it's kind of a combination of those kind of things and with, plus with Paul who's like obviously a genius so it's like you know <laughs> you know you, you get you get like you know you get to work with your heroes and, and you, you find things out too you know and how to so, do things. So Dan I have a quick question um <clears throat> You know, uh, I want to go back chronologically just a little bit um, regarding um, A Better Tomorrow. Um, okay. That was the first time, I mean, you mentioned Octagon, and that was sort of around the same time where I first heard um, your work with Cool Keith. Right. And, you know, when, when, um, you know when, I, when I get to talk to artists I admire, I'm always curious about their relationships with other artists. And I just, uh, I just want to know a little bit about, you know, how you linked up with Keith and sort of the, the era of when you made A Better Tomorrow, because I love those songs and I think they're a little bit underheralded. Oh, okay. Well, how I met Keith was there used to be a, um, there used to be a, um, a, a, a zine down in San Francisco called uh, Bomb, The Bomb Hip Hop. Yes, sir. I mm -hmm. think 
um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that um, they brought Ultra out one time for some show at like the DNA Lounge or something like that. Mm. And I met Keith then. And I think they were at the tail end of Octagon was like, a, I mean, not Octagon, sorry, Ultra was at the tail end of their, um, their, their, their music making thing. And Keith was looking for something to do. So um, me, me and um, this guy, Kurt, we started talking to Keith a little bit. And then like, um, eventually he, him and Ultra split and we ended, we ended up going to New York and I was doing a bunch of demos with them in, in um, my friend Reggie's house. It was like a studio apartment on 34th Street right next to the Empire State Building. And I brought like, a, um, you know, a couple pieces of gear. We would record in like his like closet. You know what I mean? And that's actually wow. where a bunch of those, a bunch of those songs actually got made, you know? Wow. And it just kind of evolved from there. Okay. And then like, and then like later on, um, a lot of the songs that were done had um, ended up being uh, um, used for his record, his, re his solo record on Capitol, which never came out, which eventually became Sex Style. But um, I was a part of that on, on mixing and some other things, but like, I just didn't really like the situation, so I just bounced because mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't feeling it. And then mm -hmm. like, um, they came back, he came back around, like, I got this idea for Dr. Octagon, you want to do, do something? So then did it and then did that in my parents' basement and then that's what is Dr. Octagon. Wow, wow. Damn. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's so dope. All right. I know it's uh, not a visual show, but I had to bust out the music to get murdered by <laughs> hey. cover. Um, yeah. This is your first record. I, I, I think yeah, of it yeah. as kind of like a break record. Um, it, almost. Is, it is. It is, it is it Tell is, the people it, about music to be murdered by, please. It's a record I made like, you know, coming out of high school. It was like, you know, DJing was around. I was, I was just like, you know, it would be really cool to like, well, of course you try to make songs and everything like this. And, 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 um, and, and then when you try to do it at the same time, what, 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 how that record actually holds up in life more is as a break record to a degree, because it was like, like the first record that was like, you know, like when you talk to the scratch pickles, all got those guys or Mike and all the guys will always be like, that's the one where we know, oh, you can make a record and you can make it set up for cutting and stuff like that. So that record had a pretty long life, but actually on its own, it actually, um, well, for two things, one thing was, I record that record up in um, uh, Sebastopol at the studio. Like, so I got, mm. I got a lot of um, experience there. But the funny thing was, is I, this guy, Norm Kerner, he, he had um, studio time there. So we were like, you know, doing, I was going there because he had like all the off time in the studio. So I was going there to make, make the record. And then while I was making it, I had already made it at home on like a four track or eight track cassette thing. And um, I was just going there to re-record it. So I learned a little bit more about, you know, studio gear and stuff like that. But the, the crazy thing was, is the demos actually sound better than that record. Not like a lot. <laughs> right. No, no, not like night and day, but right. they're, it, and they're close enough. They had more swing, I guess is the best way to put it. But they're close enough that like, that was when I was like, I'm never going to work in the studio again in terms of like, that's not going to be my goal to like, you know, get into studio work. I'm going like, to get equipment and work at home. So that record was really important for me because mm. what, it, what it made me do was pick up more, you know, I had no money either. So it's like, you know, pick up more gear and get stuff going at home. That was what I was going to do. You know what I mean? And mm. that's been my way since then. Of course I go to the studio all the time because when you work with a band, I have like a home studio. You can't, you know, put 18 right. people up in there or <laughs> do all that kind of stuff. So I, I track basics at studios, but I work at home mostly. So, that was a big, not a bad lesson, a good lesson for me because it taught me like, okay, all this stuff, it's cool, but I want to do this at home, you know, because I get, 
the difference is, is like you're not looking at the clock ever and you're kind of getting yeah. time to really settle in. Creativity mm-hmm. is more important than recording. Pro- recording. I'm not talking about now. Everyone has a computer now. You know, anyone can record now if they want to. I'm talking about the time. And um, I was just able to like make stuff that sounded good. So from that point on, anything of my own, I made at home. You know what I mean? And that's how we did all the Soul Size records, all like, like, like you know, um, Black Licious, you know, Mm-hmm. Derek, Shadow, everything like that, and all all my first Octagon, Better Tomorrow, all that stuff. That stuff was all done at home, you know, because that's that's even to now. That's how mm. that's that's how I do it. And except for either when I'm working with big budget bands and they got a lot of people in there and stuff like that, yeah. or we're doing orchestras or choirs or big basics with like that stuff. I I'd rather just work at home. You know, that's dope. If, I'm, if, uh, I'm, if I can be home. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can you talk to us a little bit about um, one of my favorite projects that you were a part of, which was uh, Deltron uh, 3030. Like, how, how did that come about? Um, and like, what was it like to work with Del? And how is it living in the world that is described in the song? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Straight prophecy. I yeah. Un- unfortunately, we were a little more prophetic than we should have been. <laughs> um, no, Del, Del's great. Basically, how... You know, I'm I'm from the Bay Area. Dell's from the Bay Area. Yep. Um, how I got to know Dell was was um, recording Handsome Boy Modeling School. Actually, um, I mean, I had met him before. Um, I I met him a few times, but like more just in public, you know. And um, and like he um, he um, was like we we want we I mean he's one of the greatest MCs there is. Period. So yeah. we, we were like um, we wanted him on um, Handsome Boy, and we went over to record and like. Like I said, I had, like, Domino used to, like, spend a lot of time around looking for records, too. So we, we all kind of knew each other, like, a little bit, you know what I mean? Some, but then, like, we went in there, we started recording, and we, we all, like, you know, like, no, we all we all like each other. And we did magnetize, and it came out really good. And we brought Dell out. We played, like, um, Handsome Boy, one of our first shows or whatever was um, Tibetan Freedom concert. And we, we, we brought out um, Dell with us. And, um, you know, we started hanging out a little bit more and more, and then Dell. Um, had had an idea for um, this Deltron character. He's like, you want to try to get something together? I, I said, yeah, let me do let me do this with them. Um, I want to bring in a DJ, um, Kid Kual, and this is what we're going to do. And that's how that's, that project started. That's okay, dope. Yeah. And, and it, was it like kind of um, Del came to you with a fully formed concept and he was laying out, like, uh, put some, some uh, a sound around that? Because when I listen to Deltron, to Nate's point, it, it is kind of this, like, apocalyptic kind of vibe did he come to you with that originally to a degree Dell came with the character and like the, the idea of the character i kind of worked on forming the world a little bit more like um um he had he had the character's um dna i guess is what i would call it and then like i i kind of like took that and took some liberty and, and pushed it along to where like where we got to like second album where we, we have a full world plan in there. You know what I mean? Like it was just like mm-hmm. more and more like, um, see, the thing about Deltron, especially the first record is no one, no one ever really catches on to the fact that like, that's, it's like, I think people look at that record as like a sci, sci, sci-fi romp kind of thing, you know, romp mm-hmm. things. And it's actually a really political record. It's like kind of like a, um, yeah. Mm-hmm, and it's yeah. kind of like a, I don't want to say a public enemy record or anything like that, because it's not like we're trying to make the point, but we're trying to illustrate the point by going like that. And we, if you extrapolate from what goes on in the future, but you take what's going on in the present and you just keep going, right. that's, that's how you end up there. And that was kind of the, 
well, it's not like a warning or this or that, or, although apparently it is a warning. Um, <laughs> we should have <laughs> took it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's like that. That's how. That's what it was. What it was and is. It's. It was supposed to be fun, but it was supposed to be wrapped around the idea. And I, and I think it's a it's a common trope in science fiction as well to like you know um, go to the future to 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 comment on the present. You know, and right, right, and you know. Um, Dell Del, Del was a, a fan of Orwell and all that stuff too. So like that just kind of goes along with it a little bit, you know? Okay, perfect, perfect. Dan, you know, I wanted to uh, briefly touch on, um, I mean, you mentioned the Handsome Boy projects, but I mean, there's two of them. And uh, sort of back to my original point of just, I'm just fascinated of, um, regarding artists and, and their relationships. Talk a little bit about Prince Paul and just how he entered your life for as a fan, you know, of you being a fan and listening to him. Oh. And, and then, you know, how you guys merged. Oh, yes. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty s simple in a sense. Um, Stetsasonic, I didn't really know the whole extent of Paul, you know, but like that was a band, I, a rap group, like I guess they call itself a hip hop band I, I enjoyed, yeah. you know. And, um, you, you know, you see his name on there and you would then see him on like, you know, obviously um, Three Feet High and Rising. And, and, you know, I was a big fan of the De La Records. And then, you know, I was a big fan of... Um, um, just you know everything he did at that point, but but like but like for in particular, I'm going to go to the Dale record. I'm not going to say that's the first time I heard of him. I mean, I know the, the talking <laughs> all that jazz stuff. I knew he had something to do right. with it and some other things, but like the Dale record, you know, it was just like really good and really fun and really. I don't even say experimental. I just want to say it's experimental in the sense that they would flip things that other people wouldn't have flipped, and I, I, right. I enjoyed I enjoyed that concept, you know. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm, I'm a fan, and you know the third base records all this stuff you know what i mean right. and, and like and um so anyway when i made um dr octagon that that record was all like like really 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 indie like you know i'm, I'm trying to figure it out you know and put it <laughs> out and, and send it around and stuff so anyway we sent it a bunch of cassettes to like you know various hip-hop writers and one of the writers was um a uh, skiz fernando are you guys familiar with him as a skiz fernando he has he has word sound record label but um he was writing for Rolling Stone at the time and um, he is buddies with Paul. So mm. he, he gave the, the, the tape to Paul and was like, yo, this is, this is some crazy shit. You should check it out. And then <laughs> Paul ended up, you know, reaching out to me and then we started talking oh, wow. and, that, and that's how we got to know each other. And Paul does a remix on Blue Flowers actually mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. that. So that's, that's the first time we worked together. And actually that's a really interesting, not interesting story, but that remix is interesting because me and Paul, we, we got along really well. So we talk about stuff and everything like this. And one of the things we talked about was uh, my first drum machine. And my first drum machine was this thing called the sequential Tom. It doesn't sample. It's just like, it's got, it knocks. It's, it's just nice. It's a nice regular drum machine. You know what I mean? But it was cool because it had a cartridge that like um, you could change eight sounds. It had eight sounds. You could ch add eight more sounds to it. Mm. So it was pretty cool. Like It wasn't like advanced or anything. It was just, you know, it was just a second generation drum machine after like all the 808s and stuff. It was the next, you know, two generations later or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had it. It was really cool. But part of the reason I, I used that was because um, well, I think my friend Gary showed it to me, but like me and me and um, this guy Rod uh, King Tech used to hang out a lot, and mm -hmm. um, and he had one too. And as Sway was around, Sway was he was he was going to high school in Hayward, and he he ran track and stuff. We would hang out and, and like hip hop stuff, you know. But he had the right. uh, that the the um, the Tom, and you know, he made some really good stuff with it. And like anyway, so we would talk about me and me and Paul were talking about the Tom. So anyway, that that what's cool is 
you know, Paul internalized that at some point. And then when he made the Blue Flowers remakes, he just used the Tom. Like, he had oh, one, you know, uh, so he just used it. Wow. That's a sequential. That's, a, that's, like, that's how Paul is. Paul thinks, you know what I mean? Right. That, that's so dope. Know, I mean, that, yeah. that Blue Flowers um, remix is one of the one of the best. It's one of Paul's finest. I love it so much with the melodic uh, piano yeah. at the beginning. It's so good. Yeah, and then, you know, after that, I did stuff on Psychoanalysis, and we did right. stuff on right. Prince Will's Sleeves, and then, yeah, we did back and forth, and, you know, we're, we're you know here today <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Nate I think you had, you had a question as well yeah I'm kind of divided on which way I want to go but I think I'm going to ask this one um, I enjoyed the film Always Be My Maybe and I know okay. you worked on that and uh, yeah. as someone who hung out in San Francisco a lot in the early 90s 2000s and I want you just to generally tell us about your experience of doing the film and stuff but I have to ask you because this really came to mind when I was watching it is the band that Randall Park is in based on Mission slash Crown City Rockers or like something <laughs> like that, like that kind of hip hop band thing that was happening at the time? No, no, it, it, it's, um, it's, all, it's all based on Randall's band. Okay, <laughs> his real band that he had. Yeah, 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 Randall had a real band. It's called okay. Illa something, I figured, I'm sorry. But like, it's, 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 it's based made a big impression band. on you. It's based on his, well, I mean, it was just his, you know, like, I wasn't, I never saw them play, you know, I never saw them play. But like, um, but uh, he, um, Randall is, um, he's a real hip hop head, like, like straight up right. real hip hop head. And um, he, he can straight rhyme. Like all those rhymes in that, in that movie, that's him, like straight. He wrote them, but also he cut them. Like, there's no punching in those rhymes. Each verse is a whole verse. Like everything is like straight. Not maybe not a whole song, but each verse is a whole verse. He mm-hmm. he he just he just um rolls rolls through them all. And so like basically, when we went to do the stuff, he was like, you know, he knew everything about what I do and what I, what he wanted to have, and I just made that happen. And like I was actually like got to be like the the, the I don't know what you call it, the musical director of the band. So I yeah. just got to go yeah. to the set and do all that stuff too. It was, it was great. You know, hanging out with Randall's awesome because. Yeah, he he had he really loves his hip hop. So like, like his mm-hmm. like lyrically and everything. I mean, obviously he's more you know, not even not even so much as it's comedic. I mean, it is comedic, but but it's more like you know, it's it's got a certain feel like that. But he can he can flow. Like he's he's a really good rhymer actually. That's that's dope. And was that overall was that a dope experience? I I think you had done a, a movie before, no? Before that, I've one? done a bunch of movies. I mean, probably yeah. like. I've done little bits in a bunch of movies. Probably the first one I did a bunch in that was like kind of like a well-known movie was um, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, I did a bunch of stuff in there, and then wow. like um, yeah, and then um, um, but I had done other ones. I'd scored other movies before that, and I'd done a bunch of um, not a bunch, but a few Hong Kong movies too. You know, um, I, I work with um, Daniel Wu a bunch, so we've done a bunch of a, a few movies together as well. And then um, I. Um, I mean, I worked with Jody Foster on um, um, uh, Money Monster as well. Um, okay. Uh, Damn. It, 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 that was funny too, because like we're there and like it's it's a Del rhyme. We're here. We're in the, we're in the, we're in the studio critiquing the Del rhyme. Me and her are sitting there critiquing it. She's like, <laughs> "Why am I critiquing this? What do I know about rap music?" <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. I'm gonna uh, sneak in one last question, and it's because I pulled the record, and because this is kind of a friend group classic for me and my friends. Oh, I don't yeah. know a ton of people. that you were so involved in this kind of Indian soundtrack Bollywood remix project it's not credited to you or anything but do you mind telling me a little bit about how Bombay the hard way came about and like just like how you got involved and or found the records or just anything just kind of Bombay the hard way 
yeah, that that is my record. But like, what it is is like, I worked with this group called. Um, they were they were um, a production or a husband. I don't know what the husband wife were, but they 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 had a they. It was called Motel Records, and they 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 reached out to me to, to do this project. But they previously they had released the Vampiros Lesbos um, soundtrack. This was maybe their next record, or whatever. But what happened was the two composers that are are. Um, from India on there, they're old, older, they've done a bunch of movies. And like, when I say a bunch, I mean like hundreds. Right. And, um, and, and, and there's a weird thing with intellectual property in India and all this stuff. I can't really explain it cause I don't really understand it so well, but anyway, they had to, they had gotten a, a 43 hours of their work out of India. And that was like, like literally I'm not, I wasn't part of this part of it, but I just know like they were literally getting stuff shipped. No, no joke to like seven 11s and stuff. <laughs> picked up. I know that sounds like some weird uh, stereotype, but <laughs> that actually happened. That that um, actually happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so then there was this this forty three hours of tape that I got, and basically Indian scores of the seventies of that variety they're not that interesting musically speaking in terms of songs. They're usually like just like ten second loops of some cool groove. Some of them are full songs, but there's a lot that are just like the same thing played like over and over again throughout the movie with like maybe different instruments, maybe right. slightly different arrangements or whatever. So anyways, 43 hours of stuff. So I just had to sit there and I just started being on Pro Tools, which is good because it was like, you know, be able to record the hard drive. I was just streaming it through, just listening, listening, listening. And every time I heard something that was kind of cool, I would cut that little section out until I had like all these little small sections and I figured out what was good and I turned them all into songs, you know? It's mm. funny, like, Still. I had a lot of different... Um, I mean, I put all the drums on most of them. A couple of them had Indian drums, but like most of them I put drums on and then bass. And they're like, it's funny because I even had Shadow come in and play drums on a couple of them. Just well, because of why not? Um, <laughs> right. But um, yeah. Josh, it's, it's funny because like a lot of times people go, oh, I reckon you and Josh. And Josh always goes, that's not my record. I was playing drums, you know? But like, right. anyway, it's like, <laughs> but like, you know, we were just having fun. But yeah, it was, it was actually a really long pr process to get all the pieces for that one. You know, wow. appreciate it, man. I just, wow. I, I just always had, I had to ask. It was like if I have this time with you, I was just really curious about the story. And yeah, appreciate you giving us some insight. There it is. There it is. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on the program, man, and cool. just sharing the background and history about all your amazing projects. And you know, we're we're huge fans, and we just thank you for your time, man. Oh, cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. Right. Thank you, Dan. All right. Later. Yes. Peace. Have a wonderful evening. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our conversation with Dan the Automator. Um, super cool cat, glad he can make the time. Um, yeah, he's, he's probably under-discussed when we talk about the great Bay Area producers, artists, etc. Like, you can make an argument, there's probably nobody who's was quite that big, at least in the last, whatever, 25 years. Big um, and consistent as well. Like he, yeah. he just had a huge streak, man. That you know that he's enjoying the benefits of now still. But I mean, it's incredible. 
Totally. Yeah, um, you guys saw me like dork out with him and ask about that movie, Always Be My Maybe. And yeah. my yeah. wife and I just rewatched that over the weekend. And I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a good movie. It's a fine movie. It's a Netflix romance. It's original. Movie. Right. It, like, I, I was there. Like that, that yeah. when they were, like going to those little clubs in San Francisco and seeing those weird bands and people. And like, I actually love like how representative it is for mm-hmm. Asians because like, there was just like a ton of Asian people there. Like, that's what it was like. That's, that's what the Bay Area is like. That's right. what the Bay Area is like. Right. And so right. it's cool yeah. that he was involved with that. And I, when we were watching it, it was after we had quite a bit after we had uh, recorded this interview and there's a whole scene where they're hanging out outside the show and it's like just Dan and then Kubert just standing around talking right. in the background of a scene. I'm like, Oh, there he is. And like, I was glad, I was glad I at least brought it up. It's not, I'm not like, this is not like some fine cinema, like a win right. or whatever, but it's a totally. fun movie for a weekend afternoon and it's a cute story. And like, it just, it really, really reminded me of growing up in that time. And in many ways, I know we said this in the shadow interview, but it, that his music was the soundtrack of the that soundtrack time. Like too. I'd have yeah. better tomorrow, like, you know, instrumentals looping in my car because totally. I couldn't like change the CD because I was too high, like driving up to San Francisco, going to see a show, meeting up with friends, right. going to Amoeba. Right. You know, it's just like, that's, that was my life. So it was just, it, it's just like a cool moment in time. And I'm glad it's captured and that other people could kind of experience that energy. And he's a huge part of that. Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. I mean, you go from A Better Tomorrow to Octagon, Deltron, Handsome Boy, numerous sequels, Gorillaz, um, all within like eight years or something. I mean, something totally. absurd. Totally. So, yeah. It was great to have his time to have him sort of give us um, some insight behind, uh, you know, uh, the, the littlest insight is, is important coming from that guy. So it was really cool. And, and if you guys have never checked out, and not you guys, I mean, the, the people at home have never listened to that Bombay the hard way. It's, it's oh, probably right. not going to hit the way that it did back then. This is before I'd ever seen a Bollywood movie or really knew anything about it. Same. The, the, Same. the dark, syrupy tracks that it, and it has a hypnotic quality to it that's really really cool and there's been other compilations and stuff like that now and there's other acts that specialize in kind of like representing that era of film music but like it, it's a really cool record and you guys should check it out absolutely um this has been the dan o- the automator booster club uh reporting <laughs> dan bod dan bod <laughs> shout out um you can connect with us in a uh, great many ways. Check us out on Twitter at DadBodRapPod, on IG at DadBodRapPod, where every Friday at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, you will see one to three of us um, on Instagram Live kind of doing, um, I don't know, I-, I like to call it DadBod Confidential. <laughs> we give you the, <laughs> the back story. So gross. Uh, <laughs> yeah it, it, it gets a little grimy in there but um connect with us on instagram uh we are also streaming this podcast on all the places where you get the fly podcast content including spotify google play apple music stitcher where else are we at nate uh all, all those places and more um did just everywhere you find podcasts uh weirdly because this is only our second episode on our new network i don't actually know uh <laughs> i, I, I haven't really it. had the, i haven't really had that conversation with the 
our new behind the scenes contact at uh, Stony Island slash Starburns Industries, but they're a, they're a well-respected company. I'm sure they have us everywhere that we need to be having us. Um, but so yeah, if you're listening that, at Walmart, we appreciate you checking in <laughs> on the dead bug. I've never, I haven't done this in a while, but if someone would send me a video, if you ask your Alexa or your Siri, just to play dad bod rap pod, take a video of it and send it to me. I've never actually, oh. I don't have any of these things because I only want the government to listen to my phone, not a second thing. Um, but <laughs> if, if someone could show me, does that work? And does it play the most current episode? Hmm. I'd be very okay. curious to see that if Hopefully anybody out there wants a- to do me a solid. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't play our earlier stuff. It, 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 <laughs> it, it don't only play plays... episode three. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the Grammy that... nominees of 2017. Right. That would be live if it just played MF Doom. It's like, <laughs> nah, just get to the point. Skip the podcast entirely. Edon and Doom just played. Yeah. On, on uh, yeah, so, yeah, holler at your Alexa or whatever other... Um, non-human you interact with to get your podcast content we appreciate everybody listening and checking us out um this is still not paying our bills we still work at a hot dog shop um (laughs) so if you tell a friend about our podcast really helps if you enjoy this content and you know others who would please put them on uh yeah subscribe all that do it stories etc etc we appreciate it we appreciate you guys everybody thanks for listening Absolutely. Uh, Nate, give us, give us a parting thought that will, that will lighten our load as we go forward Oof. into a new week. No, I'm kidding. Just give us a, a final thought. It can be, it can be dark. Go ahead. Um, I, my final thought is this. We, we often talk about people having these runs and like this was the time. And I think mostly it's because that's when we were young. Like, I, I don't mean in any way to, like, besmirch automators or shadows, like, later sure. projects. I just, like, have a job now. And, like, I'm, I'm listening to, like, Conway Records, not, you know, cinematic beat suites. So um, if, if, if we're kind of focused on that time when we were in our 20s. And, like, we try not to be like that, but inevitably we are like that. And, like, a lot of artists... I think want to always talk about the new shit and we're, we're totally cool with that if that's the way the interview is set up but it's nice at times for me to like luxuriate in the nostalgia of right. these artists that were so incredibly meaningful to me not not to mention like to meet them over zoom like that's rad um mm-hmm. but we talk about the old stuff because we've had time to think about it and because it it really did mean a lot to us and continues to mean a lot for us in our lives so no, no besmirchment whatsoever on the new shit <laughs> is my thought <laughs> okay. okay, David Ma, your, your parting thought. My parting thought, last week I went with like a RZA quote and I'm not sure if it landed correctly. And I, you know, if I'm just thinking back at the last few years, what, what stands out the most would be, fuck Donald Trump. <laughs> and anyone He's... stands with him. <laughs> hey, shout out to, shout out to YG. Uh, let's, let's land it there. Fuck Donald Trump, dad bod rap pod. Rap.